email us, Jen. Long live email. Dearly beloved, we have gathered together once more to celebrate email going gently into the good night. My name is Andrea Bridges-Smith, and I'll be chiseling on email's headstone today. So today is our 2016 election special episode, and I couldn't be more jazzed about it. Now I know what you're thinking, but Andrea, I'm getting election coverage hurled at my face faster than you can say gerrymandering. If I have to listen to one more bit of election coverage, I'm going to fake my own death and move to an undisclosed Caribbean island. And I get that. I'm sure you've noticed by now that this election is bitterly contentious, with two rival factions warring against each other. But there is some good news, believe it or not. This election is actually doing a great job of uniting the country. No matter where you are on the political spectrum, just know that you and every other American feel exactly the same way. And that is, okay, wow, are we, is this, we're really, oh, okay. Uh, Is there, is there like a paper bag that I could breathe into? Because, oh, okay, I, I think maybe I just need a minute. So let's step aside from debating the merits of this candidate or that for a minute, and instead, let's dig into their email campaigns. That's what we all really care about, right? Return Path has been doing a fantastic job of covering the email campaigns of the presidential candidates. There's a whole section of their site devoted just to that. And let me tell you, it is some fascinating stuff. I was lucky enough to sit down with Tom Sather, the Senior Director of Research at Return Path, and ask him all about it. So here it is, our election special episode with Tom Sather. All right, Tom, well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here today. Thank you for having me. So I have been following your election coverage with great interest, and it sounds like you guys have your finger on the pulse of what's going on with this election, at least in terms of email. So I wanted to ask you some questions about it because this is a, a certainly a, an interesting campaign season, if nothing else. (laughs) To say the least. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So how do you think that this year's presidential campaign has stacked up email-wise? Yeah, so I think, you know, if we go back to 2012, you know, when Obama was running, he raised in that election over half a billion dollars. So that's $500 million through email marketing alone. And so we kind of wrote the, the rules on digital marketing for fundraising. Also, after the election, when he won, kind of the star of the election wasn't Obama much as much. It was uh, actually email. And you could, you know, pick up the paper and the email team was being interviewed and talking about their program and how they were able to raise so much money uh, through email marketing. So it was kind of the star of the show in the 2012 election. So in 2016, obviously, I was uh, very keen to look at exactly how email would be shaping up as I knew it would probably play a central role as it did in, in 2012. And in some regards, I was right. Um, you know, email marketing has played a, a central role. It has made plenty of headlines in this election, which we'll probably talk about uh, here in a bit too. But, you know, some of the things that we see are some of the same that we've seen in 2012, which is of no surprise. And, you know, if we look at Hillary Clinton's campaign, which her campaign team probably consists of a lot of the same people from uh, the t- 2012 election that we're working for Obama, but, you know, they do a lot of segmentation based on previous donation size or whether or not they've actually even donated ever. And they do a lot of A-B testing on their subject lines. So the Obama team had a large team of writers, um, over 20 writers that would sit down every morning and write 
three to five different subject line variations, test them out, and then pick the winner and send it out to everyone. And just give you an idea of, of how effective that was, just one campaign um, was able to raise over $2 million. And if they hadn't done any testing, let's just say they trusted their gut, picked the one that they thought would be the winner, they would have made about $1.4 million less than the highest winning subject line. So in that regard, we see the Hillary Clinton campaign doing a lot of A-B testing. And assumingly, based on the fundraising amounts, because she is making a lot more money uh, through fundraising than the Trump campaign, we can assume that that's working for her and, then, and that she's doing well. The email is uh, also playing a very central role in her digital marketing campaign. And if we look now at the Trump campaign, it is a bit different. And they are two different people too, right? So Clinton has been a, a career politician she has been at somewhat of an advantage because she knows how to run a campaign. She's been through it many times before and also learned a lot, I'm assuming, from the Obama campaign as well. And with the Trump campaign, we didn't see any fundraising come through probably up until June when he sent his very first fundraising email. Prior to that, all the emails being deployed by the Trump campaign were encouraging people to attend rallies. You know, also at that time, the Republican debates were going on. So they were also encouraging people to tune in and watch him on the TV. So it was essentially mobilizing his voters for certain events, whether it's televised or, you know, a live event. And he didn't do any fundraising uh, prior to June. So those are some of the things that we're seeing with email marketing. So we see on one side, you know, heavy usage of email for fundraising. And on the other side, They've only been using fundraising uh, for the past three months. And uh, for Trump's campaign, we don't see a lot of, do see a lot of segmentation, but not a lot of the A-B testing as we do and say with the Clinton campaign. So those are kind of the two stark differences uh, that we're seeing. So you make a, a pretty good case for not trusting your gut and doing some A-B testing. Uh, apparently, people's guts are costing them literally millions of dollars. It's true. Yes. And that's, you know, and that's the learning that anyone uh, can take, whether you're a retailer or, you know, some other nonprofit is that A-B testing isn't a nice to have. I know that a lot of times it is, you know, it's hard work to do because you have to create your sample size, you have to create your testing, then you have to make sure you have great software and are able to do that. You know, but I can't stress enough that you should try to find the time to do that because, um, you know, like you noticed that it can be a difference of, you know, millions of dollars. And especially if you're a small startup, um, you know, even someone running for the president, it, it's extremely important. So have you seen any kind of new trends with email this campaign season? Are there any fancy new tricks that people are deploying in their campaign emails? Or is it pretty standard, pretty basic? Yeah, you know, surprisingly enough, in this year, I was expecting because email has evolved, um, you know, even though it is 45 years old at this point, and hasn't changed a lot over those 45 years. I was expecting, you know, some some changes because we have seen a lot of innovation um, just over the past four to five years. So I was expecting to see some new new things within email, but actually I haven't seen a lot of new innovations. So, for example, the Clinton campaign, you know, if you just remove Clinton and replace it with Obama, you probably wouldn't know that we were talking about the 2016 election because they're using a lot of the same tactics. Um, there may be certain technologies and things that they're using that you know, I have no visibility into and through the data we see, but it seems like it's pretty, pretty cut and dry and very similar to what we're seeing in 2012. Um, and then if we look at the Trump campaign, theirs in some ways are a little bit more basic, right? Because they are doing kind of standard sending out, um, but they're doing some actually some kind of interesting and unique things too. So for example, since they have been late to the game uh, for using email for fundraising, they were obviously at a disadvantage to Clinton because their email list size was a lot smaller. So they had to go out and try to build their list quickly. 
And on the political front, even though on the email marketing side for you know retailers and things like that, we always try to get people to avoid you know doing things like buying lists and doing list rental, you know, because it can cause a lot of damage to your program. And you know, in this case, for at least for political campaigns, you're only in it for a few months anyway. So, um, and it's very common then to go out and purchase lists. You know, there are companies um, out there that are dedicated solely of acquiring lists based on political affiliation that they can sell, and they're pretty well matched. So it's not an uncommon thing to do. So we did see when when Trump um, had essentially, you know, won the nomination or was very close to it before the Republican National Convention, that he started to grow his list by acquiring email lists. So that is something that we can, you know, that we've seen for Trump do, which isn't, um, you know, again, uncommon. So he was able to grow his email list quickly through that. But then obviously he was running into list quality problems and whatnot. So they had to try to find out how to how to clean those. And, you know, outside of list hygiene services, seeing them do things like, you know, surveys so they can kind of match preferences so they can kind of tell which side they're leaning on more. Um, in addition to these surveys, besides helping clean up lists, can help tailor messaging for future messages. For example, you know, I see a lot of emails that, you know, and they weren't asking for fundraising or for donations or anything like that. They were simply for surveys, asking them on their opinions of things like immigration. And that, I would suspect that they're using that information then to be able to determine, okay, well, based on these responses, you know, our audience is thinking and leaning this way. So we're going to maybe craft our campaigns to also match that, right, to get that emotional hook to get people to donate more. Um, so that was something unique that I had seen that I hadn't seen before in, in previous elections that were just solely asking for their opinions and, on different things. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, one thing that I wanted to talk to you about was um, kind of the email frequency level. Um, I think I've had the experience, and I know lots of other people who have had the experience of you sign a petition for something that sounds like a good idea, and then all of a sudden your inbox is just napalmed with <laughs> with email. It, yes. There's just so much of it. So I know that these guys have been sending pretty hot and heavy. So what has the, the frequency level been like from both of these campaigns? Yeah, so the it, it's been high, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and that hasn't changed. I think, you know, Obama was probably getting, as you know, we got closer to the election, he was, you know, some people could get, you know, two to three emails a day from that campaign. And we're seeing now, you know, the frequency levels for uh, for both Clinton and Trump to their subscribers is about once a day, slightly more too, depending on, you know, what segment you're going to be on that list. So you will probably receive something daily. Clinton def- definitely does send out a lot more email than, say, Trump. Um, she sends out... That campaign sends out about three times as much email as the Trump campaign does. And part of that is just due, due to the fact that they do a lot more A-B testing and segmentation. So it's not like everyone is getting you know those same emails. But, but we are seeing those volumes increase, especially as the election grows near. If you look at the volumes, they do steadily trend, trend upwards. You know, but also, too, I think, you know, if we look back into 2012, Obama's team sent out a lot of email, too, and became kind of a running joke, even on the late night TV shows. And one of the findings that the digital marketing team found when they were sending out some email that it had actually very little effect on, on the program. Right. Meaning that people didn't complain. They didn't report the email spam as much. You know, they didn't unsubscribe as much. So they kept like turning the knob up and kept increasing it till they could see like, well, what's the breaking point for these people? <laughs> and they couldn't actually find one. So they're finding then in that, in, you know, in there, and it could just be, and I would recommend that everyone do this, is probably isolated to 
presidential elections because at least we know that there is an endpoint to it, right? You can actually increase that frequency. You don't have to be too afraid of sending more. And especially when you are in a tight race, when you're trying to raise money, it's going to be your advantage to actually send more email. Because if you think about it, average open rate is, you know, for most people is about 15 to 20%. You probably have to send your your message out um, a few more times in order to get the most coverage and get the most unique opens um, out of your list, which is important, right, if you're fundraising. So... So I think in this cycle, too, we are seeing heavy volumes. And when I look at the stats, um, for example, for Clinton, who sends out by far and large the most email volume, her complaint rate is at near zero. Like, we're not seeing any marked as spam complaints come through. And not only that, her list size has been maintained pretty steadily, indicating that that she's not, you know, seeing high subscriber churn despite uh, the high frequency. That's really interesting to me because um, you would think that, you know, I mean, anecdotally, that's what we all hear is that, oh, my gosh, they're emailing me so much. But the, you know, the fact that the data is showing otherwise, I find that really interesting. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, as humans, we are, (laughs) I think we're an interesting species because we do complain about a lot of things and we say we're going to do a lot of things. But when we look at the data associated with our behaviors, it usually tells a different story. I think we see this with email all the time too, right? You probably hear this about, you know, a lot of people, even though we're in the email marketing world, it probably irks you when you hear people (laughs) regard to it as spam, right? And you're like, no, it's not spam, it's marketing. Um, So people always have these negative connotations towards it. Yet, if you look at the, you know, the surveys and everything, people still love email, right? They're still signing up for email. They're signing up for more email than ever before. So I think it's something that we love to hate. In some cases, and so, and so, even though we are receiving a lot of, uh, you know, email from the candidates, if we're signed up for those, part of me thinks too that we're probably a little bit more forgiving, even though it does annoy us, and we like to complain about it. I think we're a little bit more forgiving because we know that come November eighth, we're not going to be receiving any more emails, um, or at least very few of those, until the next election cycle. I think for some people, that's the only thing keeping them going at this point. Yes, <laughs> exactly. You can probably say that a lot of things about this election, yes. <laughs> um, you mentioned a little bit earlier about the the quality of the two lists. Clinton is kind of coming into this with a little bit more of a homegrown list that's sort of been inherited and, and grown over time. Um, and it seems like she's been running for office since she was about six years old. So she's probably got a pretty good list built up at this point, you know. Right. And uh, Donald Trump is having to kind of take some other measures to try and get his list beefed up. So yeah. how does the quality of their list affect their delivery and open rates? Are they having a big dif- effect? Uh, yeah, um, actually quite a bit. So, you know, if we look at Clinton, she does have a, a pretty good list. She has maintained it pretty well. You know, when we looked at the data, her list up until right before I think she knew that she was essentially going to cinch the Democratic nomination, her list at that point was probably, I want to say about, and it ebbed and flowed, right? But I think it was three to five times larger than Trump's email list, which isn't surprising. Again, she's been in it for a long time, whereas Trump has not. And I would say, too, even Trump in the very beginning said that he was going to self-finance, didn't need need to get donations, or at least small donor donations. So he made that a point, didn't really make a lot of effort for that because he said he didn't need to. Things changed, obviously, when he was closer to winning that nomination, when he knew that he would win the nomination. Uh, when he did send out his 
very first fundraising email, we had noticed, a, um, you know, kind of a couple of things uh, with his list at that point. It One, it had doubled. Um, we had also noticed around the same time Hillary Clinton's list also nearly doubled in size. Huh. And to me, that indicates one of one of two things, right? So at the point of Clinton's list size doubling, it was indicative over the fact that probably Obama and the DNC, because they both maintain the same email list, said, okay, well, it looks like Clinton's going to win the nomination. So they essentially ceremoniously handed over this prized email list that Obama had been collecting over you know the past eight plus years. And the reason why we can tell that is because at Return Path, with our email data, is we can look at that subscriber overlap. So what I did was I looked at the Clinton list and then looked at the overlap between her and Obama. And prior to Hillary's list size doubling, there is a um, probably about a 10% overlap between the two lists, meaning they shared about 10% of the same subscribers. After we saw the list size double on Clinton's end, that actually was around 80% overlap. So a strong indication that at that point she did inherit his list. Right. So I'm very curious now if you've done an overlap comparison between um, Trump and Hillary lists. Have you done that? Oh, yes, I have. So <laughs> what did it say? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it's, it's actually, um, you know, for, for Trump and Clinton, it is somewhat small. So I um, one of them was around 5%. Yeah. Um, and the interesting thing between that overlap, too, is that more people were opening and reading Clinton's emails for that shared group. She had about an 80% higher open rate compared to the same Trump emails. So I always liken that to the undecided voter. And so if they're in their inbox and they're seeing both campaigns coming in from Trump and Hillary and they see those subject lines, mm -hmm. who are they most likely when they're seeing who it's from in the subject line? What, you know, what's the appeal? What are they going to open? The fact that they're opening so much more of Clinton's emails to me indicated that things were starting to lean, lean towards Clinton on that end. That is super interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the other thing with inheriting Obama's list, we didn't see, again, any complaints. We didn't see any spam traps. Um, or anything that was causing any list quality issues that you would normally see if, say, she was just going to a list broker and, you know, just getting a, a list from somebody that God knows where they actually acquired the names. Right. Yeah. And then if we look on the other end, those listening, you may have seen some of the headlines back in June. So uh, we talked to AdAge back in June, and this was before Trump was doing any fundraising because they were asking, how are they doing an email? basically said, well, it doesn't look like, you know, Trump's team is, is using email at all for fundraising. So that was the headline. Maybe somewhat coincidentally, a week later, he boasted about his very first, I think the subject line was the first one. And then the email is <laughs> boasting about how he is sending his very first fundraising email and he is going to make, um, break all records for email fundraising. <laughs> so, so then I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is getting interesting, right? So now, Trump's getting into the email game for fundraising, so let's see how he does. So went and looked at the data from the first campaign that he sent out for fundraising, and unfortunately, it actually did extremely, extremely poorly. He had a very low open rate, and the reason for that is because most of that email went to spam. And there was a couple of missteps that I think the team, the, the digital team made. One, they started actually sending from a new platform and a new domain, and as, as an email marketer, for those that have been in, in the industry for a while, probably know that you need to, quote unquote, warm up 
your IP address or your reputation. You just can't go from not sending email one day to sending email tomorrow and expect all of it to be delivered to the inbox. You have to... Right. You have to put a cozy sweater on the IP, get it a cup of tea and knit it a blanket. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Essentially, it's like building your reputation, right? It's just like if I were, you know, to walk into an office somewhere and say, hey, give me a job. I'm great. Like they're going to laugh you out of the building. Yeah. You have to prove that you are a good person for that job. Right. And it's same same goes for email, email marketers and sending out email. You need to prove that you're a legitimate marketer. So in this case, the very first fundraising email, hardly any of it was delivered to the inbox. So very few people saw it. And as a result, very few people opened it. And this kind of caused like a whole downhill spiral uh, <laughs> with with the media at that point, because still, despite the fact that no one was opening and reading the emails and very likely unlikely donating via the email, the next few emails that went out said that they were breaking all fundraising campaigns, which, again, unlikely if no one's seeing it and opening it and clicking on it. The second thing, too, that that was noticed in Twitter um, that other media publications had covered was the fact that so many people were actually complaining about receiving all of a sudden, out of thin air, emails from Donald Trump when they had never subscribed to Donald Trump. And in fact, most of the complaints on Twitter and other social places were saying that they weren't even Republican and had never even intended to ever vote for Trump or any Republican nominee. So then, based on our data that we could look at from that, it, it was very clear that, you know, that they, in order to build their list, because again, if, as I mentioned earlier, that they had the list size a double. So thought being, well, did the Republican National Committee hand over the list, or did Trump go out and buy a list? But based on the fact that we could see the complaints after he sent the very first fundraising emails, um, it was in excess of 7% at some points wow. for campaigns. Gracious. Yeah, very high. <laughs> and just, you know, if you're wondering what is an acceptable rate, most people are under 0.1%. So he was at 7%. Yeah, that's a different number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's uh, um, yeah, most people wouldn't probably ever reach that amount. The other thing that we had noticed, too, um, that you may have actually read in the news is that a lot of foreign nationals, so for example, MPs in in Iceland and others in the UK had been receiving these fundraising emails from the Trump campaign. And of course, as you may know, soliciting donations uh, from foreign nationals is in fact illegal. So then I thought, well, that'd be really interesting to see what, what the percentage of his list is actually outside of the U.S., so we looked at our own subscriber panel and found that it was it was around 1% of his list um, existed outside of the country. And it may even be more again, but that was pretty telling that, you know, the fact that they did buy a list because we saw some of the list quality issues due to things like complaints. And then also the fact that we were seeing so many foreign people on the list indicated that they weren't doing any sort of list hygiene on it. For example, there's easy things like just removing... Just removing the country code, like searching for .co.uk and <laughs> removing those addresses is kind of an easy, easy thing to do. So those were kind of the first missteps that they were making, you know, and kind of building out their list. And, and I would say, too, not to be too harsh on them, but that is it's a common mistake, right? If you are new to email and email marketing, you know, we probably see this all the time. So it's, it's a common mistake, but something that probably could have been easily avoided, too. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So let's talk a little bit about the the content of these emails. One of my favorite tools of yours is uh, Inbox Insight, yeah. which allows you to go and spy on other people's email campaigns without having to subscribe to them. It's yes. cool. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to play with. Yes, I love it too. So 
that, you know, I, I assume that you can use that to kind of go in and take a look at, you know, and get a rough idea of the content of these emails. So what are they like? What's in them? Or is it just all donation, you know, please donate, please donate all the time? Or is it, are, do they, are they using good visuals? Is it pretty simple? Like, how does it break out? Yeah, most of the, you know, it, it varies, of course, but I think most of the messages are pretty simple. They're, in some cases, long form, you know, long copy, they are many pages to read through. And that is a, somewhat of an old copywriting technique, right? I think a lot of people think that short and sweet actually gets higher conversions, but oddly enough, in some cases, you know, longer form copywriting is more effective. And we see that, especially if you look at Trump's emails, they're very, you know, they're broken up into one or two sentences and chunks, you know, and they go across many different pages. Reason for that, you know, is just that people kind of get sucked into it um, and start reading it to follow through. And there's this, I guess, this human element where we're, you know, feeling like we've, oh, well, we've committed to half of this email already. Let's, we may as well finish it and, and continue down that journey as opposed to something that I can just glance at and delete and forget about. So that's why I think part of that reason why we're seeing those so effective. And then also to your question too about, you know, is it all about donations? Uh, like I mentioned before, you know, Trump had just started sending out donation uh, fundraising emails probably about three months ago. And prior to that, he was just getting people to attend rallies and tune into the TV when, you know, when he was on the debates. And now we're probably seeing the Trump campaign sending about 50% of his campaigns going out for fundraising, probably another quarter for things like rallies. And then another smaller percentage, although I We'll probably see less of that since uh, time is out, but getting people to go out and register to vote, which will now be replaced as we get closer to the election for things like, you know, get out to vote, right? So we see essentially these are email campaigns to mobilize their voters so they can get them either to you know, get out, vote, register to vote, attend rallies, you know, just build the base, get people excited. So it isn't all about donations. They use them for other purposes as well. Okay. So my final question for you, let's say that you got hired to be the emailer in chief for one of these potential commanders in chief. What do you do to create a successful email campaign for their presidential campaign? Yes, that's a good question. So I always say, you know, it's, it all starts with the list, right? So grow your list. I would recommend if you can grow it organically, please do so because you're going to have higher quality subscribers. You're going to get a better response rate from them. But in the case for a president, as I had mentioned earlier, you don't have the time to do that in most cases, especially if you're someone like Trump who is just starting out a political career. So I would start with that. Find a good list broker. Find, you know, use every avenue that you can to acquire email addresses. There's social is a great place to do that, uh, to, to cross-reference your, your social followers there, which obviously Trump has a huge social following that he came into. He could have leveraged that um, a little bit more. There's uh, lots of, in, at least in the political realm, there's lots of good list brokers you can rent lists from that can match um, not only the, the political party, but very specific preferences that, that you're looking for. And then I always run that through, additionally through a list hygiene service, make sure that you're getting rid of those, um, and then even test the list out. And the reason I'm doing being so cautious with that list is because that can essentially make or break your campaign, right? That can cause all of your emails to be delivered to spam, which then no one will open and it can cause you to get blocked and then have to go through many steps through getting that unlisted through some of the blacklists. And then the second thing I would do is just focus on, now that we have built out that list, is just focusing on what makes a great campaign. So in this case, we can take a page from the, the Clinton campaign and the Obama campaign where they do a lot of testing and segmentation. 
And again, like I mentioned earlier, that A-B testing isn't a nice to have. It should be done with every campaign that you send out. Even if it's a small form, you know, even if you don't know what you're doing at first, just uh, just getting in the practice of it because I think it's, it seems harder than it is, you know, when you're first starting out. But like I mentioned, it, it can result in the difference of millions of dollars that you're losing out on. And then once you know what's resonating with your, um, your subscribers and sending out that campaign, then testing elements out within the actual message body. So for example, we've seen tests where they've actually just moved the simple call to action donate button, putting it well below the fold. Sometimes they put it in a weird location. Sometimes we see them putting odd color mixes in there. And I would also say to think when you're doing your testing on things like that, to think unconventionally. Um, a lot of times we'll just kind of think of the most basic elements. But one of the one of the things that we found in there that some of the better performing campaigns do really weird things. Like, for example, when uh, when we had uh, the 12 Republicans, I think it was 12 Republicans running for the nomination, we were seeing subject lines with like semicolons and like weird punctuation marks within the subject lines. And the weird thing is that they actually did really well. And you can see that they were testing it, too, because you could see all the different A-B tests that they were running at that same time. And the one that performed well was the one with things like misspellings and weird punctuation marks. And I'm not saying that every brand should do that. It may, may be suitable in, say, if you're running a, a campaign and doing fundraising. But the point being is that sometimes just kind of thinking outside the box um, and doing something a little bit unconventional that maybe we wouldn't have before would be best. Even Obama, you can probably remember the email campaign, they still use it because they actually use it as a, as a baseline, but um, he used the word hey in a subject line. Just simple little words, and they, that actually performed remarkably well. So they just started changing changing that out with some other you know, one, one word sentences in the subject line and found that those did really well too. So think outside the box and do a lot of testing, you know, maintain, grow and maintain your list. And I think that you would be um, set up for success. And of course, I, I can't leave this interview without saying this, but obviously inbox placement or deliverability is extremely important, right? We can see that with, especially with the Trump campaign, because he's probably unfortunately had the most issues with spam folder placement due to some of the problems that they had in growing their list and you know, warming up their IPs. And there is a direct correlation with the amount of emails read and the amount of emails that reach the inbox um, or the spam folder. So obviously, the more emails that go into the spam folder, the less emails will be read. Um, give you an example, just from this past weekend, um, after the, I guess, the tape scandal, the leaked tape scandal, I was kind of curious to see how much, um, you know, how he was handling email. And what I did find was that it was somewhat as business as usual did not acknowledge um, what had happened with the leaked tape and was continuing with the fundraising, except did notice that there were some su subscriber behavior changes. Did notice that a lot more people were actually complaining about the email and unsubscribing from the email after that, which then was causing his emails to be delivered to the spam folder. Um, and in fact, most of his campaigns on, a couple of his campaigns on Saturday had a near 100% spam folder placement, meaning none were reaching the inbox. And the open rate on that, um, and I don't think I've ever seen this in my career, was at 0%. Wow. Our tool. Yeah, so I've never seen a campaign. And it was actually sent to a very huge chunk of his list, probably about 25% of his list. So it wasn't like a small little segment. It was, it was very large, but it um, registered 0% open rate. Gracious. Yeah, and that's all because none of his emails were reaching the inbox. 
Um, and I'm sure it would have been rad because he actually, to his benefit, you know, his his fans and followers love him. And he actually had a much higher open rate than Clinton the entire time over the past three months. And he has been somewhat losing, so to speak, in the email race because he has had so many spam folder issues over the past few months, and that has been causing his open rate to be depressed. But before that, his open rate um, was between 20 and 25% for every campaign that he was sending out compared to Hillary Clinton that was only getting about 12 to 13%. But now he is averaging around 5 to 7% open rate because about 60% of his, 67% of his emails is going to spam. Wow. Yeah. This is all just so fascinating to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So who knew that, you know, the deliverability would have such a, a major effect on fundraising this election? Yeah, it's it's having a huge effect on our election. That's you don't take your deliverability for granted. It's a big deal. <laughs> it is. It is. Make her make her break the president. So finally, I'm going to drop a, a slogan on you. Feel free to use this. This is absolutely free. Tom Sather 2020 getting into America's inbox. Let's do it. Okay. It. <laughs> I'm going to have to print T-shirts. Great. That sounds good. <laughs> Uh, well, Tom, I want to thank you so much for being here with us today. This is, I'm so jazzed about this. This is super interesting. And I, I feel like I learned a lot today. And um, for anybody out there who is not familiar with Return Path, they are a terrific partner. They have a ton of great deliverability tools that will help you reach the inbox. Um, they have some really cool seed testing, so you can send before you send to make sure that you're not going to end up in that spam folder. Good thing to do before you send. And also, if you like spying on your competitors, and who doesn't, Inbox Insight is basically the coolest thing you've ever seen. So get in there, go spy on some people. It's fascinating. Highly recommend that. So thanks, Tom, for being here today. This was super fun. Thank you. Can I do one more plug too? If yes. You, if the listeners are curious about checking out the the presidential stats, we do have a, um, a site dedicated to that. You can go to returnpath.com slash email for president. Yes. And I highly recommend that site. It is so, so interesting. If you're into email and you're into politics like I am, then it is the site for you. Yes. Check it out. All right. That's our show for today. Dearly beloved, I want to thank you for continuing to listen. This show is so much fun to do, and I hope you're having as much fun as I am. As always, I encourage you to head on over to postup.com slash email checkup to get a free analysis of how your emails are doing and how they could be doing. We'll be back next time to see if email has hurled itself into an active volcano, and we hope you'll join us. Until next time, email marketers, keep on rocking in the inbox, because email's not quite dead just yet.